opens up and John is caught up, he gets, gets a glimpse of the throne. And who is at the center of the throne? God, who is worthy of all worship and praise. And we talked about the elders and the creatures who were worshiping continually God Almighty who is alone worthy of all worship. Period. We get into chapter 5 and we see that there's a scroll to be taken from the hand. And there is no one found worthy in heaven. No one. As we discussed, as John is looking into this, all the old patriarchs, the saints, people that we know, people that, that we have studied and we have learned, as he sees the glimpse of all these people, of all the angels and elders, no one is worthy. And he begins to cry. And as he begins to cry, he is comforted with the fact, says, why are you weeping? For the Lamb is worthy. Only Christ is worthy to take the scroll. And Christ takes the scroll. He alone is the Lamb, but He is also the Lion. Worthy of all worship and all praise. Now we get into chapter 6, and I will cover what I can through this. But again, you're going to see some terms. And a lot of people get excited over this text. A lot of people divide over this text. As we will talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Woo, we like that. But what I want you to understand, again, be careful not to miss the message for the imagery and not to look at ourselves as we stand before Christ. Okay? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. God, we pray that you alone receive all glory. You alone are worthy of all praise. And God, we live in a world that loves to praise themselves. But God, you alone are worthy of all praise. And God, I pray today that, Lord, we just seek your face in all that we do. Lord, that we just bow down before you, Lord, as you guide us through these times. Lord, that the church would remain true and faithful to your word. Lord, that truth would be spoken, that truth would be held on to. Lord, in the time that we live now, the world tells us their view of truth based and founded on their own deceitful hearts. But God, your word is true and faithful to the end. God, may we cling to that, hold to that. Lord, I pray that everything that we do today would give you glory. Lord, I pray for those that are sick, those that are online watching us, that God, we would be for you and represent you in all aspects of our building. Take us out of it. May we decrease that you may increase. And God, we'll give you the praise and glory for all things and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation chapter 6. The book of Revelation chapter 6. And we will talk about the six seals first. And then I would like to go back and go over each text for a few moments and bring it all to an end, if you will, okay? Then I saw the Lamb who broke one of the seven seals. Lamb. Who broke the seal? Christ. Okay? He broke the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say as with a voice of thunder, Come, look. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And the one who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, 
And he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. It was granted, hold on to that, to take peace from the earth, and that people would kill one another, and a large sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard a third living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold a black horse, and the one who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarii, and three quarts of barley for a denarii, and do not damage the oil and wine. When the lamb had broke the fourth seal, I heard a voice from the fourth creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And the one who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was falling with him. Listen. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and famine and plague and by the wild animals of the earth. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar of the souls of those who had been killed because of the Word of God. And because of the testimony which they had maintained, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who live on the earth? And the white robe was given to each one of them, and they were told that they were to rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were to be killed, even as they had been, was completed also. And I looked, and when he had broken the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth, and the fig tree drops its unripe figs. And then when, when shaken by a great wind, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and eminent people and the commanders and the wealthy and the strong and every slave and free person hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Very powerful words. As you will see, act one of this chapter begins. We have gone from praise and worship and seeing the glory of God to Christ opening up the seals for what is to be poured upon the earth. And I want to go back, if I could, to the first seal because I want you to understand when we talk about the four, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, there are several camps that people stand in. We talked about when we first went through Revelation. If you are born again believer in Jesus Christ, you have to believe that Christ will return. There's no negotiation. Now people differ on timing. This is one of these instances. But I want us to understand that through this, God has a plan. Now as we go through this text, again, I don't want you to get lost in the imagery, but to look at what is happening. 
You see, he says, when I saw the lamb break one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with, as with a voice of thunder, come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse. People will say that when you hear the white horse, this has got to be Christ. No. Because, look, a lot of people will try, and theologians will try to use this white horse with the white horse that is found in Revelation 19. But the only difference in the two, or the only similarity of the two, is the white horse. Christ is the king of kings. Now this man has a crown. He has a bow. But his crown is a deceitful crown. A crown that deceives. And he goes out unto the earth to conquer. Deceitfully. Sometimes some of the greatest battles are accomplished without even a single shot fired. We must understand this. That this conquer is not necessarily bringing war with Ukraine. He's not with machine guns cutting people down. But oftentimes war is waged with those that have deceitful lives and intent. Deceit. So we see one coming to conquer, conquer, a deceitful one. The next seal we see, come, another red horse went out, and it was granted to take place from the earth, and that the people would kill one another, and a large sword was given to him. The horse that brought killing and swords. The horse that brought trouble, but it was granted to him. Now see, when I was studying this text, what amazes me is that imagery. He and another horseman are given authority, are given power, are given the ability to go inflict this harm. Let me explain something to you very clearly, okay? Regardless of what you're going through today, regardless of what evil is upon this earth, God is still in control. And Satan can't do anything without God allowing it. What? What? You mean God would bring judgment with evil people? God would allow things to let this happen? How is God in control? I want to stop for a few moments because we're going to be in this chapter for a while. Yay! But we're going to be in this chapter for a while. But I want to go back to something that, that I think is very, very important that we understand. Now, there being, that being said, a lot of times we miss this. The Bible tells me in the Old Testament that there was a man named Job. Okay? Chad, where are you going with this? Well, I'm going to prove my first point. The Bible says in Job chapter 1-6, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with him, and the Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? He said, Roaming through the earth. Satan answered to him, Walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you not considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. 
And Satan answered the Lord, does Job not fear God or nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, everything he owns? Have you not blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and increased his land? But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord said. Everything he owns is in your power. However, did you hear that? Everything he has is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on him myself. So the Lord left Job's, or I'm sorry, the, so Satan left the Lord's presence. Do you see that? As Jesus was standing before Pilate, and he says, do you not understand that I have the power to let you go? He said, you haven't got any authority that hadn't done been given to you. I'm in control. God allows this. You see, sin has consequences. And the price of sin will be paid. God's going to get his judgment. And he gives this horse the ability and grants him to take peace from the earth. That people would kill one another and a large sword was given to him. And I want to talk about this peace for a minute. I've heard other scholars say, well, that shows he's going to have peace because if the first uh, swordsman or the first horseman came that was on a white horse, then peace follows him. But no, I want you to understand something here. The name of Christ don't bring peace. It brings division. You see, you'll find out who's real and those who serve Christ. And this horseman is given the authority to take peace and to take a peace from the earth and kill one another. Look at the third seal. Now, I'm blistering through these because I want to get to a point, to a very important point in just a few minutes. When he broke the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. And one who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the living creature say, A quart of wheat for a denarii, and three quarts of barley for a denarii, but do not damage the oil and wine. And I want you to think about this. Famine. We have one that takes peace, one that conquers, and one that brings famine. It's very interesting how you see that these things... Let me go on. Next seal. i got to get to this point. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I promise you, because I want to talk, I get excited about this myself. Not for the imagery of who, who my Lord is. Okay. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. Some of your translations will say a pale. And he that sat on it was Okay, death. And Hades was following with him. You see, a lot of people have ripped that screaming from its context too. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and famine and plague and by wild animals of the earth. As many will call this the tribulation period where the judgment of God begins to come forth. I want you to think about a few things for a few moments. In the world that we live in, we are surrounded by these things already, aren't we not? There is famine. There is sickness. There is death. There is hate. There is evil. 
but nobody can see the magnitude of what's coming. Because all that you see around you, it will get worse. Now, here's my point before I get into this. You may agree or you may disagree. This is why a lot of pastors don't go through the book of Revelation. Because it's like the book of Romans. It divides. But I want you to understand this. That a lot of the, our theology and a lot of things that we have built upon these scriptures means, and you will have what's called at first, which is a very common belief among most evangelicals, is what we call a pre-tribulation rapture. That comes from the thought, especially through dispensationalism, that since the word church is missing from Revelation chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 21, that the church must have been raptured out. So therefore, they will miss the tribulation. Then you have the camp that says post-tribulation, which Jesus will, say, or Jesus will come at the end of it, and it's one mighty event. Then you have pre-wrath camp. And you see all these different camps in, that, that differ on the timing. And I want to tell you where I stand this morning, and I want you to hear me clearly before I go on. My ideal, I would love not to be when things get worse. But if I'm wrong, then the church has not been prepared for what's about to happen. Now, I want you to go with me on this and bear with me. Okay? How many of you brought your Bibles today? Or your phones or whatever you may have? I'm not going to make that mistake again. We see these judgments cast out upon. And that that we see now cannot compare to that which is coming. So when does this take place? If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We'll call this, well, they call it the Olivier Discourse. Matthew chapter 24. And again, I don't want you to miss what is happening because God has allowed it God will also limit it. Now listen to me. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. And remember, we've been going through Daniel on Wednesdays. He says, so when you see, in Matthew 24, verse 15, so when you see the ab abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. And a man on the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in the winter on the Sabbath. For at the time there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved, but those days will be cut short because of the elect. If anyone tells you, see, there is a Messiah over here, do not believe it. For false prophets and false, or for false messiahs and false prophets will rise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, and if possible, even the elect. Take note. I have told you that in advance, so they will tell you, see, he's there in the wilderness, don't go out. Or see in the storerooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes far from the west, 
so will the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is, there the vultures will gather. Then immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not shed its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will, not, uh, will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with powerful, with power and great glory. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about this, because this can be also misunderstood. You see, Jesus also on, the, on this Olivier Discourse will talk about the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. He'll say that no stone will be unturned in the temple. That is true. It is historical fact that when Titus sacked Rome, that his soldiers got between the temple cracks and tried to dig the gold out of the cracks. Christ is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, but Christ is also talking about when, his come, when he comes again. What we must understand is we're going to go through tribulation. There are going to be those that are going to distress us and deceive us. I can go back many times and tell you how many people and false prophets have deceived you or deceived us as people. They are people that could care less about the gospel of Christ and more about the gospel of themselves and manipulate people and have a following. It is about Christ alone. And in Him alone can we be saved. There's no other way. We, do not, or we are not saved by people. There is no health, wealth, and prosperity. It is Christ and Christ alone. In this world we will have trouble. But he says he will give us his peace. There will be trouble for all of us. Even the elect, those that are saved, will not escape tribulation. And as things progressively get worse, there will be people that says, I will bring you peace. There will be peace. There will be a time in those peacemakers. We call them anti the Antichrist. There are many Antichrists. There are many who say things in Jesus' name. There are many who bring restoration in His name. But they're not His. They will deceive. They will take advantage. Guys, there's famine going on all over the place. Like Paul Washer said many years ago, American Christianity is based more on a godless culture than it is the Word of God. And when I heard that, it struck me to the core. Because how dare you say something like that until I got to hear the stories of my son spending a summer in Nigeria. And I got to hear the stories of him spending the summers in India where the pastor that he stayed with was persecuted and beaten for his faith in Jesus Christ. You tell people that are outside this world that are dying for their faith in Jesus Christ that they won't have tribulation. That's a speck in their face. And it will get worse. Was Chad, we're talking about a time of great tribulation. Yes. And it's coming. The church is under attack. Understand the context of this book. It does contain prophecy, but it was written to the persecuted church. There's going to be times when we're going to face things that we don't like. We're going to hear things that we don't want to hear. It's like I put on Facebook the other day a quote. We're going to soon find out that when everything is stripped from us and churches go apostate, that Jesus Christ is all we'll ever need. It's about Christ. And as these 
Wraths and judgments are poured out upon this earth. And we see all this happening. And we see all this taking place. God is still in control. I want you to understand something. If you have your Bibles with me again, I know we flip in a lot of places. We don't understand this. We struggle with this understanding. You and me, we both know, we all know, I've met with some of you before, I don't understand why God does what He does. Well, first of all, God's going to punish sin. He's going to punish it. Do you think the people who were in Egypt did not see the results of the plagues? There's going to be punishment brought. God has many times even used tribulation to get the attention of His own people. Turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, a minor prophet. Very good minor prophet. I love this book. Three chapters. If you have not read it, I pray that you do. Let me ask a question. How many of you yell out, why God? There's a prophet named Habakkuk. And in chapter 1 he says, the pronouncement of the prophet Habakkuk saw, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me and strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. Does that sound familiar? Why do you do this? This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Then God answers. Look at the nations and observe and be utterly astounded. For I am doing something in your days that you will not believe and when you hear about it. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth open spaces to seize territories of its own. They are fierce and terrifying and their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses... Huh. are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves than night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from different lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. And all of them come to do violence, and their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers are a joke that are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress. They build siege ramps to capture it. And when they sweep up by, the, by like the wind and pass through, they are guilty. Their strength is their God. But let me give you the Reader's Digest story of this. Habakkuk don't like that answer. But God in His glory and His righteousness and holiness will bring justice by His way. And I want us to understand that as things progressively get worse, 
And things get rough before our Lord and Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes. I don't know when He's coming. And there again, when people say they know when the Lord's coming, you better flee. Because His Word says, no one knows. But I know as long as we live on this earth, we're going to have trouble. And as we have seen in the book of Revelation, as God begins to pour it out, it's going to get bad. Now I want you to listen. This is very important. Let's go to the fifth seal. And when the Lamb, this is what brings me encouragement. I know I've gone through a lot, and that's why we're going to spend a few weeks in this, because, Chad, you're going through a lot, but there's a lot to go through. But when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar of the souls that had been killed because of the Word of God. Martyrs. They have died for their faith in Christ. They have died for what they believe. And which is the testimony which they had maintained? And they cried out with a long voice, Listen! Listen what they say. How long, O Lord? Holy and true will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood of those who have lived on the earth. And a white robe was given to them. And they were told that they were to rest for a little bit longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were to be killed, even as they had been, was also completed. We are told to pray and love one another, correct? But these guys cry out for vengeance. Why? Because now we're dealing in a time of judgment. This is very serious. They're crying out for vengeance. The martyrs that had been slain are in the time of judgment. They cry out, God, how long do we have to wait? And this gives me encouragement through anything that we could read. It's not quite time. We are a people of instant gratification. But I want you to understand that God in His own time and own way will bring this world to an end. But He also tells them, wait just a little longer. There's others got to die too. And that's got to be tough. But they are given a white robe. White represents purity. Hang on just a little bit longer. For what you died for, justice will be served. This is very powerful. As he breaks this fifth seal and sees the martyrs, those that had died in the, in the life of, for the life of Christ, for the work of Christ, for his message, God is still in control. He still has this. He allowed it. But he limits it. Do you see this? A little while longer. Then look at the sixth seal. This is beautiful. And I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth and made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell on the earth, and the fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by the great wind. The sky was split apart, and the scroll when it was rolled up. And every mountain, listen, an island was removed from its place, and the kings of earth and eminent people, and the commanders of the wealthy and strong, and every slave and free person hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said, 
said to the mountains and the rocks, listen, fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne in the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? I want you to understand, no matter what we go through, no matter what we're here to see, God in his own way and time is going to bring this to an end. The wicked will bow down. I want you to understand this, as I've said before. Paul says in Philippians very clearly, that at the sound of his voice, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. You can bow now or you can bow later, but every one of you is going to bow. It's going to happen. And I want you to understand that through this, this ought to give us encouragement. That as God pours this upon the earth, we have got to understand that this world that we live in is a temporary residence with evil. You see, all this began because of Something that happened in the Garden of Eden. That that they could not have, they grasped. They longed for. That that they could not have, they wanted. And thus condemned man. And only, not only is it because of our nature are we born into it, we don't run to God in our sin, we run from Him. But God in His great mercy through His Son Jesus Christ gave us away. And he's going to bring this world to an end. The wicked will be punished. But for a little while, folks, we've got to remain here. If Christ tarries, we're all going to die. And so many people get caught up in this text saying they're looking forward to I hope I'm alive. You know, I'm going to tell you something. And I struggle saying this. My desire is to see people saved and say, Chad, that's, that's your Sunday school answer. But I know right now, if Jesus came back today, there's a lot of people I know that are in a lot of trouble. There must be an urgency to share the good news. There must be an urgency. You see, I don't want the church to have the impression that we're not going to go through things. Look around you people. And it hadn't even began. But I promise you this, that he who began this, like he said, it gets to a point when they said, hide us from the one who sits on the throne. Because they will see the consequences of their evil. And guys, we're going to see a lot of things. But I don't think that we have prepared the church. I read this a while back. See, I got my phone too. But listen to me. Listen to this. It was, I read this a while back again. I'm not going to say who wrote it until the end. But this was written in 1974 to American pastors. My sister Betsy and I were in the Nazi concentration camp of Ravensbrück because we committed the crime of loving Jews. 
700 of us from Holland, France, Russia, Poland, Belgium were herded into a room built for 200. As far as I knew, Betsy and I were the only two representatives of heaven in that room. We may have been the Lord's only representatives in that place of hatred, yet because of our presence there things changed. Jesus said in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. We were to be overcomers bringing light of Jesus into a world filled with darkness and hate. There are some among us teaching that there will be no tribulation. That the Christians will be able to escape all this. These are false teachers that Jesus warned us to expect in later days. Most of them have little knowledge of what is already going on across the world. I have been in countries where the saints are already suffering terrible persecution. In China, the Christians were told, don't worry, before the tribulation comes, you will be translated or raptured. Don't worry. Then came a terrible persecution. Millions of Christians were tortured to death. Later I heard a bishop from China say, sadly, we have failed. We should have made the people strong for persecution rather than telling them that Jesus would come first. Tell the people how to be strong in times of persecution, how to stand when tribulation comes, to stand and not faint. I feel I have a divine mandate to go and tell the people of the world that it is possible to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in training for the tribulation, but more than 60% of the body of Christ across the world has already entered into tribulation. There is no way to escape it. We are next. Since I have already gone through prison for Jesus' sake, and since I met a bishop from China, now every time I read a good Bible text, I think, hey, can I use that one in the time of tribulation? Then I write it down and learn it by heart. When I was in the concentration camp, a camp where only 20% of the women came out alive, we tried to cheer each other up by saying nothing could be any worse than today. But we could find out the next day was even worse. And during this time, a Bible verse that I had committed to memory gave me hope and joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of the glory of God resteth upon you. On their part of evil is spoken, but on your part he is glorified. I find myself saying hallelujah because I am suffering, Jesus is glorified. In America, churches sing, let the congregation escape tribulation. But in China and Africa, the tribulation has already arrived. This last year alone, more than 200,000 Christians were martyred in Africa. 200,000. That's in 1974. That's 50 years ago. Now things that never get into newspapers because they cause bad political relations. Sound familiar? But I know. I have been there. We need to think about what we sit down in our nice houses with our nice clothes to eat our steak dinners. Many, many members of the body of Christ are being tortured to death at this very moment. Yet we continue right on as though we're all going to escape tribulation. Several years ago, I was in Africa in a nation where a new government had come to power. The first night I was there, the Christians were commanded to come to the police station to register. When they arrived, they were arrested the same night and they were executed. The next day, the same thing happened to other Christians. The third day, the same. All the Christians in the district were being systematically murdered. The fourth day, I was to speak at a little church. The people came, but they but were filled with fear and tension. All during the service, they were looking at each other saying, Will this one I am sitting beside me be the next one killed? Will I be the next one? The room was hot and stuffy with insects. I promise it's coming to a close. This room was hot and stuffy with insects and came through the screenless windows and swirled around the naked bulbs over the bare wooden benches. 
and I told them a story out of my childhood. When I was a little girl, this is so beautiful, I said and I went to my father, Daddy, I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. He said, tell me, said Father, when you take a train trip to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Three weeks before? No, Daddy, you give me the money for the ticket just before we get on the train. My father said, that is right, and so it is with God's strength. Our Father in heaven knows when you need the strength to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. He will supply all you need just in time. My African friends, nodding and smiling, suddenly a spirit of joy descended upon the church, and their people began singing. In the beautiful, in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. I want you to listen. But I must tell you something. I was so happy that the Lord used me to encourage these people, for unlike many of their leaders, I had the Word of God. I had been to the Bible and discovered that Jesus said He would not only overcome the world, but to all those who remain faithful to the end, He would give a crown of life. How can we get ready for persecution? First, we need to feed the Word of God, feed on the Word of God, digest it, and make it a part of our being. This will mean discipline. Bible study, each day as we only not only memorize long passages of Scripture, but put them to work in our lives. Next, we need to develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not only just Jesus of yesterday, Jesus of history, but the life-changing Jesus of today who is still alive, sitting at the right hand of God, and we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is no optional command in the Bible. It is absolute. The earthly disciples could never stood up under the persecution of Jews and Romans had they not waited. Each one of us needs our own personal Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We will never be able to stand in the tribulation without it. Corey Ten Boom. If you don't know who she is, I ask that you look her up. And what amazed me about that is this. As this world goes on and Jesus tarries, it's going to get worse. We've got to not have the attitude that we're going to escape everything. What have I been telling you the past two years? You're either headed toward a furnace, you're in one, or you're coming out of it. God never promised to remove us from anything. But He promised He would walk with us through it. As we have seen in Revelation, as this is poured out upon, there are going to be a lot of bad things happening. A lot of bad things have happened throughout history. And a lot of God's people have left this world for their faith. But all this is a part of God's plan. For he who began this world will bring it to a completion. And I take, in, I take courage knowing that just like he told the martyrs in the fifth seal, Wait a little bit longer. God's got this, people. Don't be scared of what's coming. Embrace it. Because I can promise you now that as we have seen in the past two years, people that we know and love and are affected in this room right now have seen what plagues do to people. You've experienced it. You're walking through it. God has not forgotten you. And the judgments that's going to be poured out upon the wicked are going to be great. And here's the thing. Because of their hate, they hate you. 
because they hate Christ more. But I can promise you there's coming a day when justice will be served, Christ's people will stand strong. That's why I say, narrow is the path to righteousness. Christ said it clearly. And narrow is the gate. And few find it. My wife said this six months ago, and I keep reiterating the fact, we're all about to find out who's real. I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, I thank you for your blessing. Lord, I pray that through this, the Lord, as we look into time, that Revelation's not a book to be discarded nor avoided, but to be embraced. Lord, I believe every word that you breathe is your word. Whether it's from Genesis to the maps, God, I believe it's real. And Lord, I pray that as a lot of times we get caught up in the what, when, whys, and hows. Lord, we are actually a lot of times divide over timing, over theology, and all over things, all of a lot of other things. But God, I pray that we not focus on timing, but focus on our walk. Because one thing's for sure, if your son Jesus tarries, we're going to die. And one out of every one person still dies. And God, I pray that today is a day of salvation for those who do not know you. Lord, I pray if there's one that does not know you, that you convict their heart. Lord, before it's eternally too late. Lord, I know if your son came back, what a great and terrible day. Lord, I think that a lot of times I'm selfish. Even me, I want to be delivered from a lot of things. But God, the lessons that I learned by walking through them. God, I pray today that you would be glorified in all things. God, I pray that the Christians that are here, Lord, that those that hold a faith and trust in your son Jesus Christ would stand strong. God, in this world we will have trouble. And God, I believe the great tribulation is going to be great and it's going to be greater. Lord, I believe things will get worse. But Lord, one day, you're going to bring an end. And your word is going to be louder than any other word and your word will prevail. And Lord, like the martyrs that cried out for vengeance in the day of wrath, God, we understand that we got to wait a little while too and we be encouraged because you haven't forgot us. And you will lead us and guide us. Lord, we love you and we praise you and thank your holy name. And all God's people said, let's stand and worship together.